We're happy to make podcasts available for selected ed webinars for your listening pleasure. If you'd like to receive a CE certificate, you must watch the video recording. Recordings and quizzes can be found in the EdWebinar archives. Please visit home.edweb.net slash podcasts for more information. So let's get started. I'm Lucy Calkins, and I am the Robinson Professor of Literacy at Teachers College, Columbia University, and the founding director of the Teachers College Reading and Writing Project, which, as most of you know, is a university-based think tank that provides professional development through workshops, such as today's, and week-long summer institutes, and especially on-site PD. So I want to welcome all of you to this session. We're full to capacity, actually overfull, um, which is a sign that Educators everywhere, and, and from the chat box we can see I really mean everywhere, are recognizing that the teaching of writing is a beautiful place to center on children, hearing their stories, tapping into their funds of knowledge. And writing is, is a, a way to be at one and the same time both intimately child-centered and absolutely grounded in the foundations of literacy, in phonics and phonemic awareness, in capital letters and apostrophes. Our session is going to be led by two of my colleagues, both leaders in the new units of study in K2 reading and in the just being released now units of study in K2 writing. Natalie brings her phonics knowledge also to our work with upper grade kids who struggle. And Christie's videos, especially involving high frequency words, became famous during the pandemic. When Natalie and Christy aren't in think tanks at the university, they're working shoulder to shoulder with teachers, learning with and from them and from their quirky, often hilarious youngsters. So we're lucky indeed to have Christy Guinness and Natalie Lewis. So to start us off, we're going to name out some of the goals that we hope that you will leave with ideas of what you might try inside of your classrooms. So the first one is going to be studying student writing to determine next steps. There are so many different ways to look at student writing. For our time together, we'll think about what we're learning about students' phonological awareness and phonics, what they are solidifying, what they're using, what they might be confusing or not yet trying. Our second goal will be thinking about supporting students in using phonics knowledge actively as they write. We know as teachers that daily phonics instruction is something that we will plan for across our week um, in isolation. And as teachers, we then need to make decisions also of how to carry as much of that isolated learning into in-context learning. And writing workshop is a great place to be thinking about that. The third goal is then thinking about small groups to support students in the use of phonics skills and making decisions of how much scaffolding do kids really need? Do they need to learn the phonics? Do they need to practice using the phonics? Do they simply just need to reread and fix up their writing? We'll think about planning for interactive writing to transfer isolated skills into in context. It's one of the many tried and true methods to help kids use their phonics knowledge. And lastly, we'll think about bringing more phonemic awareness into writing workshop in really joyful ways that phonological awareness can be known as child's play um, and how to do that in really fun and lovely ways. So we're going to start by thinking about studying students' writing to determine next steps. 
And to begin here, Natalie and I wanted to think about the importance of why we do this um, and what it looks like at different stages, whether you are an early kindergarten teacher or you are a second, third, or fourth grade teacher of what this might mean for you. Researcher Linnea Airy, she was one of the first researchers to describe um, the spelling progression that we use in our writing units of study and many um, teachers around the classrooms in the world and classrooms use. And she says that there's phases of spelling development. And these phases, they happen slowly for some kids and faster for other kids. Um, but there's universal agreement that the place to start is with labeling. Labeling is a way to slow down a student's process to really hear the phonemes that they hear and then attach a correct letter sound correspondence down onto the page. So starting with just listening to one word um, is really helpful for your cognitive load to not have to think about the 10 words in the sentence you wanna say, but just isolating just one word. Um, so it might start with labeling the word slide and just starting with the S and then eventually the D comes, and then the L shows up in the middle. Um, and then they might start to hear more of the sounds inside of the word. And then that might become the slide, a two-word label, or even a three-word label, like the red slide, um, eventually then moving into more simple sentences. Researcher Richard Gentry, he talks about the importance of teaching phonemic awareness and phonics through spelling. So what you can do independently in terms of phonics is directly linked to what you can hear. So the more that you can hear, the more that you can apply down onto the page. Um, so he talks a lot about emerging, emerging writing or inventive spelling. It actually demonstrates what kids know about the sounds inside of the words alongside of how he or she thinks about representing those sounds. And that we can monitor kids' progress of spelling of breaking the complex English code by looking at what they put down on the page. And there's over 30 years of research and practice that tells us that the act of inventive spelling, um, it greatly increases the child's chances of breaking the code in English and then learning to read by the end of first grade. Christy, can I, can I just add a little bit more on to the Richard Gentry stuff? When Christy and I yeah. were um, planning together, um, we, uh, we're, of course, rereading and looking at research. And um, Richard Gentry references uh, a study by Ouellette and Seneschal, which talks about the fact that there's a direct line between kids' ability to um, come up with invented spellings and they're early in their development, think kindergarten, and who becomes a reader faster. And the theory, and it turns out that letting kids invent spellings um, leads to first graders who are more likely to get reading, which is super interesting because this workshop isn't really about reading. <laughs> this is about writing. And yet, um, not only does that, it's, it's all connected. Yes. And not only does that stretching and labeling help then with kids getting ideas down on the paper, which is what we so care about, it also has an effect on their reading. Um, Amanda, can you drop that link in? We thought we might drop the link for um, an article that Richard Gentry did in Psychology Today in 2017, where he uh, lays out the Ouellette and Seneschal research in more detail. He also references Linnea Airy, um, which is what Christy talked about a few minutes ago. Um, 
We, Christy and I, when we were planning this, we thought about um, the importance of feedback. So you might be sitting there thinking, is it okay for kids to invent spellings? After all, there are correct spellings for words. So yes, there are correct spellings. However, in that same study, um, the Ouellette and Seneschal study, what they were able to show is that the active analysis process of hear, listening to sounds and words, right? That's phonological awareness and phonemic awareness is hearing the smallest sounds and words, right? So the ability to stretch a word and identify the sounds that make up that word. And then, right, phonics is my ability to attach a symbol, a letter, or a grapheme, if we want to get fancy, um, if we want to attach, right, phonics is the ability to take your learning about symbols or graphemes and attach that to the sounds that you hear. So you might be thinking, well, then might it hurt their reading, children's reading, to be making up spellings for words like slide is S-L-D, or right? But it turns out that with phonics teaching, which of course, right, we're all doing, right, with phonics teaching and a clear scope and sequence that builds across time um, and lots of practice, um, kids remake their understandings of what a word is. It's almost as if um, we're understanding that the brain is more plastic. Yes, it's more malleable than we used to think. And that approach works better than just straight memorization of words that you don't yet have the ability to understand. So much harder to memorize something if you don't yet have the ability to understand it. What helps you understand words? Phonics teaching. Yes. What helps you hear sounds in words? Fun games like Christy. I was singing for Christy on the, you know, it's phonological and phonemic awareness. Yes, you should be singing like like, um, what is the sound that starts these words? Fish and farm and frog, right? That's me working on, right? And then the kids are like, is the sound that starts these words? Fish and farm and frog. Wait for it. With a here and a there. Here, a there, a everywhere, a so we are working there. If we're getting technical, we're working on the child's ability, right, to hear the initial sound in words, which matches the way Linnea Airy talks about development, which is that kids often start with the ability to hear the first sound. If I want to add phonics to that, yes, we only worked on phonological awareness there because we were listening for the first sound in a word. If I want to add phonics, then I'm going to attach the letter that represents that sound, the F. And I might, for instance, sing it again and hold up the F as we're like with a f here and a f there. Sorry. Clearly, I'm enjoying this part too much, Christy. <laughs> if we're going to think about kids writing, we could decide to look at writing with a phonics lens. And this sheet is a sheet that we've created that helps us to do that work. But before I talk about that, I just want to say a little, even though this workshop is about phonological and phonemic awareness, I want to first just say to everyone that we want to make sure we're always looking at writing first with a larger lens. So I, for instance, a lot of my colleagues and I are using like a little three-step process. So I'm just going to give it to you. So the first step is we're often looking at writing with a sort of like what sends us kind of lens. When I said this to Christy, what sends us, um, then again, it was a chance to sing. You remember Sam Cooke's song, Darling You? send me. Um, step one is to look at children's writing through the lens of um, 
this is amazing. This is beautiful. This is a miracle because small children made this writing. Yes. Maybe then step two is let's look at this writing and think about what does the child offer up about who they are as a person? This is, after all, them on a page, right? Writing is the person on the page. And so there is no better way that I can think of to learn about the identity of the child or to be curious or to ask questions. And then maybe the third step is, um, what is this child ready to learn? And one way to think about what they're ready to learn is to think about um, looking at writing through a phonics and a phonemic awareness lens. And so if we just look for a second at this sheet, um, it's sort of organized roughly as kindergarten in the first row-ish, um, first grade-ish in the second row, and the final bottom row is sort of second grade. Depending on your phonics that you're teaching, there may be slight variations in what I'm describing, either a faster sort of sequence of phonics that moves more quickly or one that sort of spreads out a little more Um a couple of things that people often ask questions about, HFW is high frequency words. Um, sometimes people ask about phonemic proficiency, which is the ability to hear all the sounds in a word. It does not necessarily mean that I can represent all of those sounds correctly or the way it would be, would be represented in a book, right? So if I write slide, let's go back to Christy's example. If I write it S-L-I-D, I have phonemic proficiency for that word. I didn't spell it correctly, right? It's a big moment, though, when kids develop full phonemic proficiency. Let's see what else, Christy, did I say? Um, complex consonants are all the consonant stuff that happens that starts to get past sort of I learned my alphabet, like um, three-word blends, blend digraphs, um, uh, could be trigraphs, right? all the other sort of consonant-centered things. Notice how a lot of this is vowel. Um, a lot of this is vowel-centered. Um, schwa is schwa. We could get into a long conversation about schwa. It's the unaccented syllable. Um, passion words are, you know, you write about ballet all the time. So maybe I just straight out teach you ballet. Um, and then other ends up being sort of a catch-all. It could be some grammar that you're noticing. It could be um, any other thing that's not here, like contractions, homophones. Um, it's always good on a sheet to make an other category. Don't you think, Christy? It yeah. feels like you always need one if you don't make one. Okay. So I've oriented you to this sheet. Let's use it to look at a piece of writing. Um, and we hope that you'll join us in the first step oh, yes, of like please. marveling. Yeah like marveling over what we're learning about these kids and yes. the information that they're teaching um, through the genre of information writing that kids are in this unit. Christy, I found the way to click. I can click. Yes. Yeah. Um, okay. So here we are. Um, this is, this is about Columbia. This is a piece of information writing. This child has a personal expertise and connection to this topic. And so they've chosen this topic. And so about Columbia and notice the labels that Christy talked about, son, me, this says C. Look how fascinating that is. Yes. Oh, so close. Super interesting. Um, Columbia, I'll just read it to you first. Yes. And you be marveling. Yes. Columbia is so hot that people like to go to the beach. Fun fact, Columbia is the hottest in the earth. And look, she wrote, the C is for swimming. Okay, I hope you're being sent right now. Don't rush to the phonics yet. 
Let yourself linger for a second. Um, uh, and in Colombia, there's a pool and you can go on a boat too. get to the, sorry, my little thing popped up to get to the aquarium. Yes, Christy, I'm right there. Look how cute it says tank. The label says tank. So good. Okay, ready? Let's just look at the, is there one more page? No, that's it. Right, Christy? There is one more page, um, but we just put down some of the markings for us. Oh, I'm sorry. I was getting really into loving it being sent, but I was like, there must be other pages. Um, Beautiful stuff. Yes. Um, So much bravery in writing, multisyllabic words. Yes. She's so connected to something that means a lot to her. Um, We're learning about her in terms of her identity. She's sort of offering up who she is and what matters to her. Um, And she's the teacher, right? She's the expert on this topic. So much to do with the first two steps here. If we're going to look at it with a phonics lens, which is just one way, right? We could look at it through the lens of elaboration or the lens of um, structure. But if we're going to stick with our topic for today, we might use this sheet. So I just put Andrea and all about Columbia at the top here. And I hope you were sort of playing along. Yes. So what I did is I collected up the correct spelling for words and her attempt at the spelling. Different names for that. Yes, Christy, you said um, invented spelling. Sometimes people call that approximated spelling. Um, Sometimes people call it temporary spelling, which I think is super interesting. I think that helps caregivers because they're worried. Yes, they're like, oh my gosh, is she always going to spell people like that? Um, So maybe thinking of it as temporary spelling is helpful. Notice people. I put it under high frequency word. It is a high frequency word. Sometimes we could argue about what category it goes in. I think that's beyond the point because you might say, well, that's also a multisyllabic word, Natalie. Yes. Um, or that also has a consonant L-E. Yes. But she got, she, and she didn't get that. So sometimes I'll even draw an arrow between two things to say like there's evidence of more than one kind of work here. I usually just collect about 10. Sorry, Christy, I see your mouth ready to move. I usually collect about 10 miscues and then I stop. You can see here, we're already starting to see a pattern. Go ahead, Christy. I was just going to say, Natalie, too, just thinking about, um, like, this is a kindergartner. She wrote this in spring of kindergarten. And just all of the high-frequency words that she does have, um, and she has control over, too. Um, So there's some, right, that we know that she needs to work on. But there's tons of um, decodable high-frequency words. And then there's also irregular high-frequency words like the and like. She hasn't learned silent E yet, um, but that's a high-frequency word that she's learned. um, So it's temporarily irregular for her. And so she's holding on to both of those as she's writing too. Yeah, I could have also added two now that I'm looking at it, the T-O-O-2, when she means the T-O. But amazing that she knows those, right? She knows both of those. Um, Yeah. Uh, yeah, basically her, oh, there you go. Um, I know. And maybe Maybe. you have a familia in Colombia. Oh my gosh. Um, warning, do not bring birds from New York for Colombia in the plane. (laughs) I mean, Chrissy, this is a really helpful tip. Yes, because don't do that. And there's lots of 
Sorry, I'm having trouble remembering what that says. Rem tell me what beaches it says. Beaches and restaurants in yes. Colombia. And there's lots of beaches and restaurants in Colombia and Colombia's. Arepas. Uh, arepas. Remember when we first read this? And I was like, look at the picture of the arepas. Mm -hmm. um, um, delicious. Look at them up there. So again, if you think about what sends you or identity, so much is being taught to you, the teacher. Um, and right, we're learning so much. And again, you could take, I don't think we need this to study this page. Christy, we've got enough of a focus that we might actually work with um, with her on, right, on this, right, on how to um, transfer more of her phonics to, although you notice a lot of the phonics, can we go back to that? I'm going to go back to that. A lot of the phonics we see, oh, Christy, I just messed up. I got you. Save me. <laughs> A lot of the phonics we see is are things that she hasn't yet been taught. So the phonics she's probably most likely been taught as a kindergartner, we're not seeing mistakes there. So that's kind of cool, right? Because we could sort of run ahead and teach some of these other things to her as she's ready. Like maybe we start a little long vowel, C-V-C-E for her. Okay. So we're going to look at just one more student's piece of writing, just to think about if we have different needs across classrooms, like how do we also pull kids together for whole group, for small group things based off of some trends. Um, so we're going to look at another student's piece of writing. Um, we're going to call this student Ashley. And um, thinking about Ashley, just what you might want to know about, about her as a person. Um, Ashley was in my first grade classroom and she was the kind of kid that came in with like cat ears every day and had tigers or lions or like cat stripes or patterns on her clothing all day long. And in reading workshops, she wanted to read books about like big cats or animals. She was just an animal fanatic. So the fact that she chose the topic of a wolf for her um, piece was like not surprising, right? It's like a passion of hers, an interest. Um, you'll hear some kind of like almost like National Geographic language um, inside of her piece that she's echoing based off of all the reading work that she does. Um, so she writes, what creeps in the leaves but isn't a squirrel? What hunts in packs but isn't a lion? It's a wolf. Wolves are very good hunter. They work together as a pack. Actually, they are all family in the pack. They have their mother, father, brother, and sister. Can wolves speak? Yes, they can whimper to say hello and howl for fun. How fast can a wolf run? A wolf can run up to five miles an hour. We could fact check it, but we'll see. Um, it's good because they won't starve. Um, so if we look at number one, just like marveling, right? Like, they can whimper. Uh, they can say hello and howl for fun. She has such a playfulness to her writing. Um, and you can just see that she is really enjoying making this kind of piece. Um, I think a lot about what Natalie said about prof um, phonemic proficiency, that she's recording down. Like I can tell that she hears all of the sounds that she wants to write. She just doesn't always have the phonics necessarily to attach it, right? So she writes creps for creeps. She writes levs for leaves. Um, so she's hearing something and then she's putting something down. It might just not be accurate um, because of the phonics pattern or spelling pattern, like at that point that she's still approximating with. So when I, I see, look across, yeah. Creeps. Creeps is super interesting to me because it looks like she knows short vowel. Could mm -hmm. we get her to reread 
and re-look at the words she made during writing with a reading lens and see if she decodes that word as creps when she rereads. Because yeah. we see that she knows short vowel. We see it over and over again. I wonder if she brings a reading lens and could she self-correct that? It still might not be correct, but it might be like with a silent E or with a vowel team to represent the long vowel that's in the middle. Yeah. Because there's some places where she's showing us that she does understand long vowels, right? Like in hello, she puts an O-W, um, right? Or for howl, she puts an O-W. So she knows that there are vowel teams, vowel patterns, things you can do to control and make it long vowel, but she's not always doing it. Um, we often call that like like using and confusing. Like sometimes you do it, sometimes you don't. Um, so some, simply asking them to reread might do some of that correcting. Um, we also see like, that she has knowledge of our controlled vowels for mother and sister. She has ER, but then she doesn't for brother and father. So could that just be as simple as a reread, right? I'm just like catching it because she knows it in some places. She's just not using it every time. Christy, um, wait, can I just say that's often the sweet spot, don't you think, for teaching yeah. where we see evidence of something that is using confusing or inconsistent use? It feels like why not finish that off with teacher feedback? right? Show her that she knows it and then ask her to really be on the lookout for you can do this all the time. It's like the sweet spot. It's most likely to yeah. stick, I feel like. It is. Um, so Natalie, do you want to talk a little bit about just like the ways that we might coach her and we might think about um, the ways that we can help her solidify in some of her phonics knowledge? Yeah, I um, I have been playing around with my language for that. Yes. So when, can I just give a little, um, a little cautionary tale before I do this. Remember that when you give feedback on writing, you are giving feedback to someone's heart on the page. And so if you have a writer who is just learning how to be brave enough to, to say a word and listen to sounds in the word and write the letters they think go with those sounds, then it might not be the perfect time to be giving feedback, right? Saying things like, because it could sound like to the writer, um, it's not right. And that could shut them down. So first, yeah. you, I hope you can tell that these two writers are writers who seem to be really bravely trying to get their ideas on paper, and they have a lot of phonics and phonemic awareness skill. Mm -hmm. This might be a good time then. These are good candidates, I think, for feedback, right? So I might give her feedback, for instance, on creeps. Wait, you made a beautiful slide, Christy. But yeah. that's, can you tell that Christy is like the slide tech person in this partnership? For sure. I'm just going to own that. Um, uh, if we're giving feedback, for instance, on creeps, I might say something like, is there a part that doesn't look right to you? Right? Because often when you're writing, it's a part, right? Um, let's just pretend we don't have this because I wasn't with her when she wrote this, but let's pretend she sort of circles with her finger, the middle part, the vowel. Then I can say, yep, you're right. What sound do you hear? Remember, that's phonological phonemic awareness, right? So I want to know what sound is she hearing to make sure that she's hearing the sound that's likely to yield, right, a phonics connection, okay? So let's pretend she says, I hear E, E. I'm like, good, okay, in Cree, Eeps. Then I can say to her, do you know a way to spell that sound? And I'm hoping that she pulls up, since she's a first grader, I'm hoping she pulls up a couple of options for representing long vowel, like silent E, like E, E, vowel teams, yes, like E-A. Maybe she pulls up like those three options in her brain from her phonics teaching. 
And then, right, that's me saying, is there a chart that can help you, right? Because charts can help. And then I can do the move of, let's try one of those. Okay. Um, and when she tries, then I can say to her, does it look right? Or does it look like how it would look in a book? And then you might be like, well, how does she, how's she going to know that? Well, if she has ever seen the word before, she is likely to have a moment of, it doesn't look right. Let's pretend she says, it doesn't look right. Then I can say to her, can you try something else? Right? Is there another way to spell that pattern? Let's pretend she does. She says it looks good. She spells it C-R-E-A-P-S. And she says, it looks good. Then I can say to her, that's not the way you spell it. Here's the way you spell it. So that she gets eventually the feedback of the correct way. But notice, I didn't just spell it for her. Because remember the Richard Gentry, right? The Ouellette and Seneschal research, remember? She needs the moment of the struggle to hear sounds, remember her phonics, apply her phonics, check herself in order for that to be likely to go to her long-term storage of words that she can recall with more automaticity. So that whole process is like supported productive struggle. Um, and so I've been playing around with helping my teachers practice this, um, practicing this myself. But remember, careful about which kids. Um, are they ready so that I don't shut down their production? Um, yeah. Right. Part of it's the feedback that I'm giving. Um, but also when you have 20, 30, 32 kids in your classroom, right? Like you can't be giving feedback individually to every kid at every moment. Um, so what are the tools that we're leaving them with that like they can activate for, that they can be thinking about? Um, and if you use the writing units of study, right, like there's often charts and checklists and things that kids can be using. Um, but one of the things that we were really thinking about is like looking at their writing. And if we look at Ashley's piece, right, with like mother, sister, brother, where she dropped the ER in certain places, like we might have a box where it's like personalized, like just for her goal. So the whole class might have this chart, um, but there can be like one corner that's empty. And that's like just like Ashley's personalized goal. Um, and if that's on her table every day during writing, then we can just say things to the whole class like, everyone take out your your goal sheet or your checklist, right? Like reread it and now think about it as you're writing today. We, we also included this one. This is just another example um, that uh, for Tommy, he did this one himself. So he looked back at his own writing and then he added his own personal goal in this case, right? He put apostrophes, which also isn't, is temporary spelling for apostrophes. I mean, look at the PH digraph. Yes. How about that with the PH digraph? Come on, Tommy. He knows some stuff. Um, and then wait, should we show the other one too, Christy? Yeah. Do you want to talk about? about uh, Andreas? Yeah, this is, remember, we looked at Andreas Columbia writing. And let's just say this is sort of the class chart where kids are working on making their writing easier to read. We connected, we saw some BD reversals, in particular in Columbia, the word Columbia. And she's a kindergartner. So why not work on solidifying, right? Pretty common to, to be working on solidifying the directionality of the B and the D, lowercase. So why not add a little like reminder where she might trace. Why not work to solidify that so she doesn't always have to think, which is this? And then by the way, what about reading? If she is confusing them in writing, 
what is happening when she approaches words that have a lowercase b or d? Does she have a long time where she's thinking, wait, which one is that? What sound am I supposed to make? We want more automaticity and writing can really help with that because of physical pathways, right? Um, physical pathways help us learn. Um, and in particular for letters, um, that is true. Yeah. And interesting because in her writing, when she wants to use a B and she uses it correctly, it's capital. Right? Yeah. Um, so good. Yes. Also checking because she, um, the other day a teacher did this thing I thought was brilliant, Christy. That same thing happened. Right. And she asked the child, why did you put a capital B here? And she said, I don't know the lowercase. Yeah. Ah, what a good question, teachers. Yes. And the child is saying, like, forget, like, using it. I don't even think I know it. So how about you do a little teaching and a little practice so that I do know it? Um, great teacher question. Um, yeah. Good. I like that you skipped yeah. to that. Um, yeah, it feels like it landed nicely based off of what yeah, you asked. Right there, right? Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, um, so I thought that Natalie and I wanted to talk a little bit about like choices inside of small groups of things that you might consider. Um, and when we think about small groups, I think like one is we want it to be a place of like really active. Like this is the place where they're getting feedback. They're trying something. It might be for someone like that little kid that Natalie was just talking about. Like I need to teach you something, but then I need you to use it right away. Or it might be I need to like activate or just remind you simply of the thing that we've been doing in phonics and isolation that I'm not seeing can't transfer over into your writing. Um, so we have this way of planning um, that we thought we would just talk through with you um, and then just do some like role playing of what it might, might sound like. Um, we've been really leaning on this structure. We call it the try it, try it structure. Um, you'll see this inside of our new reading and writing units. Um, the reason why this structure exists is to think about how to get kids like active right away. And then also, how do you also release scaffolds or shift methods inside of a small group? Um, so that way kids can practice in different ways. So when we think about like starting a small group, we might think about like a quick rally. Um, and a rally is often meant to like activate prior knowledge or for also you to like assess like what do they remember or know about this? So that way I can adjust my teaching inside of the small group. So you might refer back to a chart. So if it was for a student like Ashley, right, like creps and creeps, um, or if it was for silent E, any way that maybe they're confusing short vowel, long vowel, it might be that we give them the vowel chart and have them say the long sound and then have them say the short sound and they like with a partner really fast. So we're just framing the learning that's going to happen for the small group. Or we might give them picture cards and just have them sort um, long vowel, short vowel and just like make two piles. Or we could do some like oral phoneme practice. So you might say, um, listen to the word and then think, is it the long sound or is it the short sound? Right. And be like, feed. And they're like long and they're like fed, short. Um, they can use their bodies. They can like string down, um, but just getting them to like think about like the sounds that they're hearing. So just framing the activity a bit. And then that's really quick. It might just take like a minute to start. Um, and then how do we get kids to try it a first time? Um, and I think about the try it the first time is like usually like a little bit more scaffolded, but they're still doing all of the work. So it might be that like we're all doing it together or they might be doing it with a partner. But the hardest thing is to like go off and do it by yourself. If they could do it by themselves, they'd be doing it back at their desks without us. They wouldn't need the small group. 
So I don't want to take them to a small group and be like, try it by yourself right away. I want to offer some support. So we might do some interactive editing together where we create a piece with intentional mistakes. I like to think about it almost like mimicking the writing that the writers are doing. So like for Ashley, right, I might like make a piece where it has all short vowels, but they meant to write long vowels. So I write it as short vowels and then we're going to edit it together and we're going to like cross it out and we're going to write the word together. Um, they're going to do it with a partner. They'll hold the pens and they're like fixing it maybe with like a chart or a tool in front of them. Um, or we might do some interactive writing or labeling. So we might create a sentence or two together, or we might just also like label some things in a picture. Um, and we're practicing stretching and writing the word together. Um, it might just be that I want partners to come together. And I have two sets of partnerships in the small group and partner A is doing the writing and partner B is giving the feedback. That's like really helpful for kids to also play the role of like giving feedback to one another, actively watching. Um, so that might be the first way we try it. And then if I think about the small group, I want to think about like what happens if I drop one of the scaffolds a little bit, or if I change it up a little bit, are they still able to hold on to the learning? So the second try it might be now take out your own writing and try this. Um, or switch roles with your partner. Um, so that way I can see what they can do like without me. I'm taking a back seat and my role is to coach, give feedback, but not necessarily like lead the group. Um, and then think about ending the small group with some sort of way of sending it off for transfer. So will you go tell each other what you just learned? Can you go tell somebody else in the class? Or here's a sticky note with what we just tried. Put it onto your goal sheet. Um, mark a spot in your writing where you're going to try this when you leave the small group. Christy, I, I just yeah. wanted to add that in that last part, the link we've also been playing with in some of my schools, um, uh, kids teaching kids. So, um, wow. you know, would you would you now go get one classmate and come back? And of course, I'm not saying to the kids, uh, teach your friends, and now I'm going to go away. Often, right? I'm like coaching the teacher who is the kid who's coaching a new friend. Um, the amount of engagement, especially if I start the group by saying, "Listen, I'm going to teach you something." that you will get a chance to teach to someone else um, in a few minutes. Um, and then, of course, you know, we're doing that with kindergartners, first graders, and they're really doing it like kindergartners and first graders would. And so much engagement. Um, sort of funny, Christy, to watch them, the things they copy about you or their teacher in that moment, like the phrases they use or the way they hold their heads. Some of it's really embarrassing. Um, you know, you think to yourself, is that what I look like when I'm teaching? Um, but it's great in terms of engagement um, and in terms of assessing. You get a chance as a teacher to assess what did they actually make of my teaching? Um, and that helps me to then plan forward, right? What what might I be doing next? Yeah. Yeah. I thought we would just look at the two kids, um, Andrea and Ashley, right, that we started with and keeping those kids in our minds. And they have some things that are different that they definitely need to work on. Um, but there's also a lot of overlap. So one thing we might think about is if we're planning for whether it's a small group or even a whole class, like how do we use some of these data points and make decisions of like who will practice which part or what is the commonality that I could be teaching and doing some like practice around. So we've highlighted that um, really all of the Val work, right, that they have in common. Um, that they could be, be solidifying when to signal long and short vowels. Um, so in some cases, right, like silent E might be a heavier need or R controlled might be a heavier need. Um, but really like listening closely to vowels and determining the phonics patterns like is a need for both of these kids. Um, 
in different ways. Like for Andrea, she's putting the R before the I. Um, yes. So like reversal. Christy, can I, also say, yeah. can I also just say, that's why we started calling, um, lots of us started calling R controlled vowel, vowel R, especially in writing because it's the order that becomes problematic, right? It's like they for, they hear the er in ber, er, erd, and then they put the r, and then they're like, uh-oh, I need a vowel, and then they stick the vowel. So yeah. if I call it, instead of r controlled, if I call it vowel r, then I'm I'm signifying the order um, that the vowel, because you can't hear the vowel, right? I know you know that, but the name change is, I think, really helpful of that, of that phonics feature, of that phonics feature. Yeah. And just thinking about like that is different than omitting a vowel, right? Like it's like placement of it. So just interesting of how kids will do it in different ways. So well, if we Chrissy, think about it, Chrissy, can I also, sorry for interrupting. Can I also just say, there's a lot of ways to spell the er sound. Mm -hmm. um, basically all the vowels. No, but all the vowels do er in the yes. end. It's some yeah. weird words like calendar, doctor. Yeah. I mean, you're listening and you're a kid and you're thinking, yeah, I see that chart. There's a lot of ways to spell er. <laughs> uh, so in a way you should yeah you need to be doing a temporary spelling and then starting to think does it look right right yeah. as part of how you're attacking words that you don't know yeah definitely so um one thing that natalie and i were thinking about like is if we wanted to create some interactive writing um for like a group of kids like this or even for the whole class like how might they practice um so we were thinking about like one is like you want to have a focus in mind, right? So we've picked some focuses. Um, we've highlighted some of them so that you could see them easily, right? So thinking about like R controlled, thinking about silent E, um, thinking about um, different vowel teams like EA and where could kids practice like in this journey with us? Um, and then secondly, what is the context that's going to live inside of? So I don't want to make up just like a sentence for the purpose of practice. Um, can it be grounded in something like authentic? So can we write a little letter to the principal? Could it be a message for our bulletin board that goes out in the hallway, a title of our chart? Um, or maybe it's like a page. Oh, Chrissy, Chrissy, sorry. Could it go in another content area? Could it be like we write up together um, like an explanation of how to solve a math problem um, or we or we write up what we learned from a little science experiment. Interactive yeah. writing is such a good method. And then therefore, right, phonemic awareness and phonics is showing up um, across the day, which gives multiple practice, but also really helps send the message that what we do in phonics is needing to be actively carried and transferred to other parts of the day. Yeah. So the places that are bold would be the places that like kids are participating where we're sharing the pen, we're giving them the pen to like write with us. Um, but things like principal, I'm just going to quickly write. That's not my phonics focus for this, this group. Um, I'm using other words to provide context in a sentence, but the places where I might invite them to do some thinking and have a chart present and have whiteboards where they could be writing is at the places that I've strategically pulled based off of what their data shows. Um, Christy, we this can... is super fascinating, right? Because it's got things that I would predict that the two of them or kids like them would be able to just write. Yes, I'm predicting we, for instance, can because they know short vowel, um, right? I'm predicting some of these words. Listen, who was the one that did the OW? Um, that was Ashley. Mm -hmm. I wonder if Ashley puts N-O, right? N-O-W, right? Um, mm -hmm. She knows the O-W. She does it in hello. So she knows the O sound for O-W. Um, but, and so I wonder what would she do for now? 
Um, and clearly the multisyllabic words are not going to be, like you said, that principle celebration. I'm just going to quickly write that, right? Yep. You quickly write that. Come is an interesting one because we are working on vowels and then there's like a knee at the end, right? So that, that there's, um, but it's not making like the long vowel sound. So also just like thinking about high frequency words that kids might be seeing and I can just write it for them, right? That might be a part where like I'm doing the work, but we might like notice like, whoa, right? There's an E at the end, right? We doesn't, doesn't make the vowel say its name. I was also pointing out like exceptions to the way things they might think go. Write is interesting too, right? Like, um, so I might ask kids like the word write, think about that word. Um, what do you hear at the beginning? Yeah, it's an, I hear R too. Um, in this word, it's WR. And I'm going to write that as a teacher. Um, I'm not expecting that in the word write that it's spelled correctly if they do the word on their own. Um, but I'm going to write the W to make sure that it is written correctly. But I am coaching them to hear the I and then think about like what spelling pattern do you know? And then using a silent E there. Yeah. Christy, can, uh, I, can I say one like really super technical thing? I hope it's not yeah. annoying. So when I say to kids, what sound do you hear in the beginning of the word? Like, right. And a kid yells out R. I want to be careful because R is not a sound. Mm -hmm. Sound is R, right? Ooh. And the letter that goes with that sound or represents or matches that sound or right, that letter is an R. And I want to be really mm -hmm. careful about the difference between sound and letter, especially for my kids who are working to solidify the understanding of those two things. Um, so if you're thinking about doing some of this interactive writing work with your kids, um, you might just take some of these steps. So like select a phonics focus, plan some sentences with that focus in mind, hopefully something that feels authentic or purposeful for your kids to be engaging in writing. Um, say the sentence out loud, uh, rehearse it, and then pause to allow kids to practice. Um, and then also just always ending with rereading, right? That rereading our sentences um, is also going to be solidifying that reading and writing correspondence that they are, we want them to engage in too. Um, all right. Christy, we're almost, we're almost to the end here. Yes. Yeah. Um, we thought we'd end with kids. Um, and so we thought we might just watch and maybe we just watch a little bit of this video. Yes. Maybe we just watch um, to the part that we said. Um, yeah. Really, all of this, all of this work that Chrissy and I have been talking about, um, kids' ability to get words down on paper, really has to do with them um, feeling like they can stretch words, hear sounds. And it also has to do with the teaching of phonics that the teacher is doing. Um, and so we thought we might just end with um, a tiny little clip of a video of a child um, being coached by our, one of our colleagues to um, stretch some words in writing. And will you just notice when you're watching um, how she is turning over the responsibility for the, for the phonemic and phonological work to him while still giving him feedback? So we'll just show a little bit of this. Alrighty, so um, Mason, can you, can you tell me about what you're working on? Um, I'm working on a superhero. You're making your picture of your superhero to yeah. show and tell other people about it? Yeah. Okay, and can you read me what you wrote so far? Head and the body. Ooh. Do you, do you know what you're going to make next? Yeah. Yeah? What yeah. What are you going to make? I'm going to label the tape in the, in the hands. In the and the store in the, in the middle and the feet. Oh my goodness. Mason, 
you have a plan to make lots of labels on your page and I can already tell that you've been stretching out those words. Have you been? Yeah. Oh my goodness. So can we practice a few together? Yeah. And as we stretch them, can we see if we can hear all the sounds? Yeah. Okay. Which one do you want to do next? Should we do cape? Yeah. Okay, let's do it. Ready? Show me how you stretch it. Do you hear the first sound? Yeah, cape is here. Okay, do it again. Cape. It's in the end. Oh, you heard the ending sound? But wait, let's see if we can hear the middle. Are you ready? Yeah. Here we go. Cape. I heard you say it like this. K-A-A. What letter makes the sound A? A. Yeah. Let's do one more. Here we go. K E A A. Stretch it to the end. Wait, go ahead. K. On the end, it says. What word did you write? K, okay. but, but the middle sound is. You got the middle sound. Look. K A P. You got it. Well, how about this? Um, that, that I told Chrissy, that's my favorite part. That kid is learning. This is the second, it's like fall of kindergarten is when he was doing this work. He has learned fonts, a lot of phonics already. Guess what letters go with which sounds. He's learned to say a word that he wants to write and stretch it. The teacher is working on really trying to get him to get to the middle and to the end, right? All the time consistently. In this case, it's a long vowel. We know it's a long vowel with a silent E in the word cape. And what happens for him, I think, this is just a theory because, you know, he's not going to tell me this, but he goes cape and he writes C-A-P and then he goes, but what about this? And I think he knows there's an E somewhere, but because he can't hear it in cape, right? That's got three phonemes, that word, or three individual sounds. He can't hear the E that is silent. And so he's trying to stick it somewhere because it's like his brain has some memory. Maybe he loves superheroes. See the little superhero doll down here? Maybe he's seen it in a book. And I, that moment is my favorite because he's like on the verge of, or maybe that becomes a passion word, Christy. And we just teach him cape because he's so close, um, which then sort of opens the door for CVCE, right? Sort of opens the door for that pattern maybe in general. Oh, I see. You thought you heard an E there. Okay, let's do one more together. Let's do leg, and let's try to hear the beginning, the middle, and the end. Okay? Go ahead. Leg. Here, put it here so you have some space. Okay. Now try to hear that middle. What letter makes that sound? Eh. Yeah, like elephant and head. Okay, you heard the beginning, you heard the middle. Can you see if you can hear the end? Yeah. Go ahead. Go, go, go. What letter makes that sound? Um, uh, G. Okay, point to the word and read it. Leg. I guess right. Oh, go ahead. You done? You done with that word leg? Yeah. I think so. So Mason. You work to hear the beginning, the middle, and the end of that word. Could you do that with all the words on your page? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Oh my gosh, 
do the next one? Okay, I'll leave you here and let's see if you can make four more labels, okay? Okay. Alrighty. Just to sum up, we're hoping that this really helped you with studying student writing, especially with a phonics lens, thinking about the phonics knowledge, right, that you're teaching, um, teaching phonemic awareness um, with joy, planning for interactive writing, and also thinking about small groups. The first question is, the science of reading is now the buzz. How does the writing workshop relate to the science of reading? And I hope that as I ask that question, that all of you are kind of answering it. And my hunch is that the answer you're giving, its I think it's kind of clear from today that, that part of what we're trying to say is that all that we've learned from the science of reading absolutely relates to the writing workshop. I mean, what the kids are doing as we watch that little boy, he was, he was stretching out the words. He was really engaged in phonemic awareness. And um, so much of writing is, is segmenting, hearing sounds. Um, and of course, orthographic mapping, uh, using your phonics knowledge. You know, During the writing workshop, you'll be saying things to kids like, you want to signal that this is a long vowel or uh, don't forget that there's a vowel in every syllable. So um, Felicia, thank you for that question. And I, I hope everybody's seeing that absolutely uh, writing is is a, a place to draw on all that we've learned from the science of reading. Now, there's another question, which is which phonics program is good? And um, uh, there's two suggestions here, Jolly, Jolly Phonics or Letterland. And, and I think um, I'm going to just say that what we know from from so many sources is that there's lots and lots of pages that are that are good. And the really important thing is that you teach phonics and that you teach it explicitly, um, systematically, uh, that you rely on a program to help you to teach it. Um, but but uh, the truth of the matter is most phonics programs follow the same sequence. That's true for our phonics program and for for most of them. So, Lucy, can, um, I, this, can I add? Yeah, Lucy, can I add? Oh, yeah, also, sure. just, just um, ex, you know, systematically, explicitly, um, building in repeated practice is really helpful, and and also just transfer, Lucy. Um, you know, really, phonics alone is just not going to give everyone access to reading and writing. It's got to be building it into really in active ways and really thoughtful, specific ways, so that kids are carrying it to their reading and their writing. And that's been so much of the focus of today's session. Um, yeah. You know, while, while I have you, Natalie, how about taking this question? Um, Lori is asking about the differences in teaching decoding versus encoding. And I know it's, it's a question that any of us could talk about for a long time. But can you give kind of a, a, a brief answer to the differences in teaching decoding and encoding? Um, I mean, decoding involves looking at symbols that are on the page and then turning those symbols into sounds and then blending those sounds together to turn into words. So, um, right, we go from symbol to sound and sounds to words, and the opposite is true for encoding. We go from a spoken word to what are the sounds that make up that word to what are the symbols that represent that sound. And so, um, I mean, I don't know if that's the kind of answer you want. I think one interesting difference is multisyllabic words, Lucy. Um, sometimes people are confused about th them in terms of encoding and decoding in that when you are decoding a multisyllabic word, you do want to lean on your understanding of sort of the kinds of phonics. Some people call those syllable types. 
Um, and those can help you see patterns to help you break words into parts, your knowledge around syllable type, right? In writing, though, you can't know what you're dealing with. It's more like I have a long word and I have to clap it out, right? Which kind is kind of cool because in when you write a word, you can hear, you can often clap it, um, even if you might not be able to break it up to decode it. And then what you have to do is write it part by part. So in some ways, what I'm saying is um, in multisyllabic word writing, in some ways we see kids have more success with multiple syllable words in writing. They get closer and reading can be tricky. Yes, especially if we add in schwa. Um, I don't know if that's so helpful. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm, to, I, we're going to have to answer all of these questions kind of, kind of, inadequately. Um, but I do want to say that that we have office hours uh, once a month, open office hours, and it so happens that we have them tomorrow. Um, so at around the same time, people can come on and, and that's a time where people come face to face and actually say their questions. So so all of you know that you can come to, to office hours. Um, Gwen is asking several great questions. And one of them is about the push to bring writing into the content areas. And wondering if that is compromising the writing workshop, um, worrying that the writing workshop's taking a back seat. And Gwen, thank you for your commitment to explicitly teaching writing. And I think that all of us at the Teachers College Reading and Writing Project agree that that just like you, you wouldn't um, uh, have kids add up how many more minutes to lunch and call that a math curriculum, uh, you, we wouldn't want to have writing in the content areas be the sum total of your writing curriculum. It's it's important for kids to have a, a coherent, planned, sequenced, research-based curriculum in writing, just like they have it in math and in and in reading. Um, on the other hand, it's just so beautiful to transfer writing to the content areas. And you know, so much of of learning really is is, is taking in knowledge and doing something with it, organizing it, making something of it. Um, and and particularly now when kids are able to learn from videos, from all of the internet and, and all of that, um, we know it's it's really important that they're given opportunities to organize that knowledge and to make something of it. And, and that's really um, writing in the content areas is so potent. Um, so uh, Natalie and Christy, there are four or five different people who've been asking about a scope and sequence. And again, that's a rich and com complicated question because in our organization, we have a, a scope and sequence for for structure in writing, for for different genres of writing, for uh, you know hel helping kids to 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 think about qualities of good writing. Um, do you want to comment a little bit about a scope and sequence for phonics in writing, and perhaps go back to Linnea Airy's work? Yeah, I mean, there's not Chrissy. I didn't know if you wanted to do this. I was going to say that there's there's a lot of large agreement, but there, every phonics program makes some slight decisions, right, of what they're going to use to ground kids in a certain idea. So, um, like one way that I think about it is um, we have to help kids understand the difference between short vowel and long vowel. But the way that the curriculum might decide to do that might take like a different approach. So you might teach silent e as like one way to ground the difference between short to long. Or you might actually teach vowel teams as a way to ground it. Um, the big idea is that we have to teach kids like how to signal early, like how to change and represent a different sound on the page um, when there's so many different phonics rules to learn over over time. Um, but Natalie, do you want to jump in from that, from that point? 
Yeah, yeah. It just feels like some big things are true about all the sequences. Yes. Um, mm -hmm. the, the phonics tends to go from s sort of simpler, more reliable um, to more complex and sort of, I'm going to say less reliable, but um, sort of like more options for any given phonics, you know, uh, for any given sound, for instance. Um, things that tend to have more exceptions tend not, phonics rules and principles that have more exceptions tend not to come early because we're trying to help kids understand, right? Get some solid footing. Um, and then we start to do things like, actually the CH you learned is ch makes two more sounds, right? The k and the sh. Um, as, you know, so that we set a firm foundation, sort of more simple, more reliable, leading on to with vowels and consonants, um, vowels being like the lion's share of what is so tricky about English. So Natalie, the next question is, Will you make will you make a, a little I don't know what it's called a little podcast or a little video of yourself singing more phonic songs and share them with everybody who's on today, which is twelve hundred people. <laughs> I've always told you that your singing of these songs is really appreciated. I know we have about forty songs that we have embedded into the reading units of study, and I don't know how many into the writing units of study, and those are those are are up on the Heinemann website, but but people would like the songs that particularly have to do with phonics and writing. So how about sometime in the next couple of days, you <laughs> yeah, how to tape yourself singing them and um, let, let us share them with everybody who came today. Listen, okay? Lucy, you know how much I love being videotaped. So I'm in. <laughs> okay. So um, uh, then we have um, Gwen had another marvelous question. Uh, the questions people are asking are so knowledgeable and, and thoughtful. Um, Gwen was asking about the people who worry that kids are fossilizing on incorrect spellings. And I'm going to just take that question and say, I hope that, that you know, as the session continued today, that you saw so many examples of, of us explicitly teaching. So if a kid is, is not signaling that this is a long vowel, then for sure, we're going to teach that. If we see them um, you know, brother, mother, father, and they're doing the the um, ER in some of those and not others, we will teach that. So I do think it's, um, Christy, you mentioned the, the use and confuse Donald Bear's wonderful category that we watch for when kids are using and confusing things, because that signals that um, they're ready for us to give them the explicit of teaching and, and move them on to that. And, and of course, all of this is understanding the progression and figuring where kids are and how can we explicitly teach next steps. Um, Lucy, wait, but can I, I say something up there? Sure. Quick story. Um, Nero, um, I'm in his classroom. He's a second grader. Uh, he's, he's routinely misspelling the shorter high frequency words. Yes. And so um, we were trying with him to get him to outgrow his sounded out brain, which is the original brain. I know that's not a technical term, but that's what I called it to him. Yes. Um, he first started out as a kindergartner who stretched words like the little guy Mason that we watched in the video. And now he's a second grader and he's spelling was W-U-S, which is a beautiful spelling of was, yes. Um, and yet it's wrong. <laughs> so I asked Nero, I wrote on a whiteboard, what's this word? And I wrote was correctly. And he read it. So that means Nero knows that word and he just needs to outgrow his sounded out brain. So I told him that. And then I said to him, can you predict how you spelled it in your writing? And he goes, W-U-S. And I said, yes. And now you have to make yourself fix that. So I, Lucy, I think that's a good example of 
active coaching to go anti sort of this idea of fossilizing an incorrect spell, which is often high frequency words for kids um, as they get older. So much of our time in schools is working with English language learners. And um, what a what a privilege it is for us to be in so many schools where there's lots of kids who are learning English. And I had a number of questions here about when you're working in, in writing with English language learners and particularly phonics with English language learners. It's probably more questions than we can responsibly uh, take up today. But could you say something about uh, some of the special considerations you keep in mind when you're working with multilingual learners? In general? Well, related to what we've been talking about. Yes, the sort of phonics, phonemic awareness, stretching. I mean, I think... Let me give you an example. Um, Here's one of the questions. Would you apply these same lenses for English language learners? We have an ELA workshop in our program, although our home content is in French and Spanish. That, that's an example. Or here's another one. How would this feedback coaching session sound with a student, in particular an English learner that doesn't recognize sounds yet and doesn't know um, and doesn't know um, what's right yet? Those are examples of some of those questions. Chrissy, did you want to go? I was just there. I think one thing that I think about is um, is the language that the child speaks currently um, is it an alphabetic like system, right? Like, is it characters or is it is there common letters that maybe do have some similar sounds or they at least can recognize the letter, but the sound might be altered. Um, so thinking about like in Spanish, there's so much layover between similar sounds in English and in Spanish, right? So how could we help ground them in the sounds that are the same um, and doing some work around that because there is some, some like layover there and then explicitly teaching into the letter sound correspondence that are unique to our English language. So I think one just thinking about um, what is the language that they do know and is there a starting point there that they can be really successful with? Yeah, um, Chrissy, I think you really just said um, teacher knowledge about the um, primary language or the home language um, can help build bridges to the new language. In terms of giving feedback in that, in that scenario, Remember that also the feedback is really calibrated to what I've learned about what the child knows. Um, so I'm not picking random things, right? I'm saying this is just almost something that you're getting. So I probably, I might not give, for instance, the creep feedback to a child, right? I might be giving something that's more like hearing the first sound in a word, what letter goes with that sound. And maybe that child is working on labels at first with just an initial sound, like the slide has an S next to it. And that's going to be a big moment, right? Because you're going to hear us, be able to hear a sound, right? Figure out what letter represents it and write it, which by the way, we don't talk enough about. Writing it is actually hard in the beginning. <laughs> How do you make that thing come on the paper? And, and I think can I just add, I just want to add for everyone that we have uh, about a hundred videos of Teachers College Reading and Writing Project colleagues working with English learn well, working with children. Um, and certainly many of them are going to be working with English language learners. Um, those are, how do, how do people access them, Christy? Do you know? They go to the, to go to our, the Teachers College Reading and Writing Project website. Um, yeah. Is it on theirs on our Vimeo account? Yeah. And we can maybe put it in the chat box. Okay. And I would especially say, watch, look for Amanda Hartman, because Amanda does a, a lot of really nice work with English learners. And if you're just scrolling through and wanting to find some that will, that will help you. Um, but it is one of our favorite 
things to do. And you're always welcome to come and, you know, uh, watch us when we're in classrooms and, and uh, see us working with, with English learners. I'm going to go to the uh, last. There's, there's a lot of other questions, but I know time is getting short. Um, so let me just go to a couple of last questions. Um, uh, one of them is from Whitney. Have you updated your curriculum to reflect the science of learning? Um, yes. Uh, thanks for the phrase, the science of learning. Um, yes. Uh, yes, we have. And the new units of study are, as I mentioned at the very beginning of today, are just out now. Um, uh, we also have a question, what are some other lenses that we might use to study writing in K2 and in 3.5? And that's just such a, a wonderful, wonderful question. And, and I guess what I would say about that is that you really can take any priority that you have as a teacher and, and bring that to um, students' writing. So you can look, for example, at, at this child and think, to what extent is this child a risk taker um, and somebody who's, who's willing to approximate? You can look at the child's knowledge of genre. Um, how is the child's writing different if they're writing a persuasive speech or if they're writing a story or they're writing a all about book. Um, so you can look at the, the kid's ability to write beginnings and endings um, of, of, of texts, introductions and conclusions. Um, so many different things. So um, one of the beautiful things about teaching writing is that when you write, the, the child's right there. And it's, it's such a, a, a beautiful, beautiful way to study children, to kid watch. And um, the other thing that's really powerful, and maybe maybe I should end on this note, is that when you look at kids' writing, you can look at it through the lens of, of your teaching. And you can see how much is your teaching moving kids forward. You know, as we approach the end of the year now, it's a beautiful time to just pause and to look back and look at what your kids were doing at the very, very beginning of the year. Look at any particular child the very start of this year, and look at that child now. And when you do that, celebrate all the ways the kid has grown, but celebrate also your teaching. Because this is a way for you to really see the difference that you've made. And when you do that, always in teaching, we're looking back and we're looking forward. So we're we're looking at the great work we've done this year, and we're thinking, how can I approach next year differently? And I, I think just the fact that there were, you know, more of you signed on to this workshop than could even fit in um, says something about the fact that a lot of us in this country are aware that right now, writing needs to be a priority. If you think about it, you know, writing long ago seemed like this sort of esoteric thing that people did if they, you know, happened to grow up to be authors, but now writing is 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 how we all live our lives we're writing as we as we do our work every day all day long we're, we're writing and and it's just absolutely important particularly in a, in a in a democracy that we teach people to to know that their voices count and that they can bring their voices forward and do so in a way where they make the world a better place so Natalie and Christy, thank you so much. And all of you who gave your valuable time, I, we all are so aware of how precious educators' time is. Um, I'll see some of you in the, in the office hours tomorrow. 
Christy and Natalie, thanks so much. And to all of you, thanks for coming. Thank you. Thanks, everyone. We hope you enjoyed this EdWeb podcast. If you'd like to receive a CE certificate, you must watch the video recording. Recordings and quizzes can be found in the EdWebinar archives. Please visit home.edweb.net slash podcasts for more information.